Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. going to go against the grain of this world by being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to follow him faithfully. You want to be um, one of his disciples. There's two essential qualities uh, that you're going to need that we're going to pull out of uh, numbers this morning. And those two qualities are number one, a t- tough skin, and number two, a soft heart. Tough skin and a soft heart. We might say thick skin, tender hearted, right? Uh, we're going to go with tough skin and a soft heart because uh, I read this one quote and it was just, it filled my mind this week with applications from this, this chapter. Here's the quote Maturity is moving from soft skin and a tough heart to tough skin and a soft heart. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means this morning as we uh, resume our study on the life of Moses. Uh, verse, verse 16 is where we're going to pick it up. And if you remember from last week, uh, Moses, remember he was on his uh, face before God. He was deeply discouraged, uh, very disheartened, feeling defeated because of all of the rabble. You remember that word? The rabble, it was the, the, the whiners and complainers in Israel um, that were just giving Moses a hard time, and it was, they were making his task just too much to bear, and he told God, you know, I just, I'd just rather be done with it. But in response, one of the things God does is he provides some help for Moses, and that's what we see starting in verse 16. Yahweh therefore said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and their officers, and take them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand with you. And then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit who is upon you, and I will put him upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it alone. So again, Moses, uh, in res- in res- well, actually God, in response to this heavy task that Moses has of shepherding all of these complaining people out in the wilderness, God has Moses uh, appoint 70 elders to a unique position. They're already elders, so it's kind of, I don't know what to, what to call them necessarily, but they're going to be singled out, I guess, to perform a specific function as more or less spiritual leaders in Israel. They're going to help him bear the burden. They're going to take their stand with Moses. So Moses isn't just standing up there alone anymore. Um, This, too, isn't the first time, if you remember, that Moses is granted help. I mean, from the get-go, Moses says, I can't do this alone. God's And God sends Aaron to help him, to be his uh, mouthpiece during the exodus between him and Pharaoh. And then in Exodus 18, once they were at Mount Sinai, 
uh, God accommodated himself again to Moses' weaknesses, and, and, and um, Jethro wisely, his, Jethro's his father-in-law, um, wisely suggests, counsels Moses to appoint elders to judge the people uh, by the law so that Moses didn't have to do it all. Remember, Moses was just sitting on a judgment seat, basically, all day long from sunup to sundown and judging cases and, and, and social disputes that were going on in the, among the people of Israel. And, and he was wore out, he was wore down. And so Jethro says, you need, you need some help, dude. Right? And so um, he appoints elders uh, for the tribes, for the nation, all of that thing, uh, so that all of them, so that Moses is only now judging the major matters and all the elders uh, sort of out in the villages, the communities, whatever. This is what's going to take place in Jerusalem. There'll be elders of the city or of the, of the villages, of the tribes, and they can handle, you know, all the minor disputes, right? But the major cases would come to Moses. And uh, it seems that these 70 who will serve um, with Moses... Uh, in a special capacity, again, are pulled from those elders already established in 18. But uh, I think this is a wise thing because, for one, uh, Moses isn't going to take all the heat from the people alone. You know, it's, just, it's so funny. You go through the book of Numbers, and when things are going good, right, everybody loves Moses. Oh, you're the man. You're the savior, Moses. We love you. We're so thankful for you. And then when things start going south a little bit, and things get a little rough, Moses, we hate you. We can't stand you. Why are you doing this to us? You're not even really the guy that God chose, right? And it's, so they, like, it's like, man, it's just so, there's so many extremes here. And so with the elders, having a plurality of elders to stand with Moses is going to, uh, those elders are going to help absorb some of that shock, right? They're not going to be able to point their finger at one guy anymore and say, you did it. Or they're not going to be able to point their finger at Moses anymore and say, all the praise to Moses, right? So uh, they're going to absorb some of the praise and some of the blame. Um, A team of elders, uh, or plurality of elders, is also going to provide more accountability um, I'm just thinking of the church now and how we should have a plurality of elders in, in local churches, but they're going to provide accountability for each other. That's the New Testament model. Um, eliminate blind spots in doctrine or ministry. Um, you're going to, uh, between the elders, they're going to feed on each other on each other's faith and each other's courage, right? So there's not just one guy. And then there's also going to be this um, just uh, healthy element for the body itself, for the spiritual body, right? Because when you have multiple elders, right, they have different personalities, they have different talents, they have different gifts, and, and, and they work together, right? And so the body is blessed by having this, um, I guess, different elders with different capacities, different styles, that sort of thing. So uh, I think these men are just going to be a great blessing to Moses. His load is going to be lighter, and he's going to be encouraged, and it's just going to be more efficient. But uh, let's pick it up in verse 24 now. Um, There's another quail episode in between that we've already talked about, but we're going to pick it up in verse 24. Uh, Moses So Moses went out and told the people the words of Yahweh. Also, he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and had them 
uh, stand around the tent, that tabernacle structure. And then Yahweh uh, came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and he took of the Spirit who was upon him and placed him upon uh, the 70 elders. And when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. And so, interesting account, right? With these men, the man, he calls the men out from the, from their, from the people, and they're, they're standing around the tabernacle, right? Moses and 68 men. We're going to find out two of them didn't show up. But um, they're in full view of Israel, and God's presence comes down in the cloud, and he speaks, and then he takes the spirit that rested upon Moses and sovereignly places him upon those other men that are standing there. And I think we should be careful here first just to note that the Spirit is not a thing or a force. You know, you're not going to take him in some measure and put him on other. He's a person. You know, the Spirit is a person. He's not a thing. He's not a force. He's God himself. And um, he's the third member of the Trinity. But this same Spirit that indwelt Moses, and maybe even the same general gifts of the Spirit that Moses had for leadership is going to be then given in some extent to those 70 elders for that leadership role. Uh, that's the best I can explain what's going on here. It's, it's a, good, a good reminder for us, I think, to remember that even in the church that we're in a part of right now, um, Today, that God will sovereignly distribute spiritual gifts to every believer as he desires for the common good of the body. If you want more information on that, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12. But we're all uniquely created, right, with our personalities and talents. And then in Christ, once we become a believer, we're given spiritual gifts, one or more spiritual gifts, a combination of gifts to serve in the body of God's people. And so all of us have some sort of, who have believed in Christ, we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. We all have, think of this, think of how amazing this is, this, that, that we all have some sort of spirit-empowered ability to serve in the local church with. And it's kind of an adventure to find out how God has gifted you and how he wants you to use your talents and your gifts to serve the body, right? We're each like a member of the body. And when you don't have a member of the body, right, you chop the arm off, right, the body is greatly hindered. So we all want to find out, right, what member we are and how we function in that. It's essential to the health of the body. But um, even though the Spirit did operate sometimes differently in the Old Testament, it's a subject for another time, um, you know, there, there's nothing really that, you know, different here with uh, the prophesying. You know, the prophesying that goes on when the Spirit comes upon them. It's interesting. It's kind of mysterious to us. It's mysterious to them because it doesn't happen every day. But um, it's kind of like what we saw in the book of Acts when we went through the book of Acts as a church, right? For example, when the Spirit of God uh, baptized a new people group, whether it was Jews or Samaritans or Gentiles or John's disciples, there was some sort of uh, demonstration outwardly of the spirit that had, they had received on the inside. You know, it was just this outward manifestation of the spirit's power. And um, 
uh, in the New Testament, remember, people might break out speaking in tongues, in different languages. It was a sign that the gospel was going to all nations, okay? God doesn't just speak Hebrew, you know what I'm saying? It's going to go to the nations, and uh, God's Spirit had accepted the Gentiles from all over the world. And if he has accepted the Gentiles from all, of the, all over the world, then how can you, right? This would be for the, a sign for the Jews. So how can you, Jews, not accept the Gentiles too if God already has and he speaks their language? You know what I'm saying? Well, here in the Old Testament, prophesying, again, they were, they're like, they're baptized with the Spirit, and they start to prophesy. And Gene uh, Merrill said that uh, uh, it's kind of like, he thinks what's going on here is just like what happened in First Chronicles 25, verse 1, that they started to break out in song and singing. They were praising God. Um, this, is, this is part of, they would, they would prophesy with harp and with lyre, that sort of thing, and they probably just did this spontaneously without training, kind of like tongues. They're speaking languages that they never had to learn. It's a pretty amazing thing. So uh, again, it's a little different, but it's pretty similar to what we see in the New Testament. Uh, again, it's a mystery to me too, but, um, but that's because it, it just does, it's not regular. It only happens once. It says the moment they received the Spirit and then they didn't do it anymore. You know? And then uh, that's because God's trying to make a point. You know, if, if it happened all the time, then it wouldn't stand out, would it? And so God's making a point to the people of Israel, at least in this account, we can say for sure that, that God was with these men. He's trying to get their attention with this outward manifestation of the Spirit, saying that these men have the same qualifications. These men have the same authority as Moses. And that would then dampen the rebellious uh, and complaining spirits of the Israelites against their leadership. They saw, okay, God is with them. That settles it, right? Um, so to fight against them would be to fight against the Lord. But verse 26, the two men had remained clear as mud, right? Uh, sorry. But the two men had remained in the camp. Uh, the name of one was Eldad and the other was Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered, but had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. And so a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And then Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the people of Yahweh were prophets, that Yahweh would put his spirit upon them. And then Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. And so I uh, will pause there. Two of these elders, for whatever reason, they actually just remain in the camp. They don't go to the tent meeting, so to say, right? Um, and I don't think they were being disobedient. I think that God, God led them there. We don't really know. It just says they stayed in the camp. But they're found, right, prophesying in the camp. And there's a, a certain young man 
who's concerned about it. So he tells Moses, and then Joshua, the son of Nun, who didn't have a mom, right? So he didn't have any Mother's Day to celebrate. Uh, the son of Nun, Daryl, you hear that? Maybe he didn't have a belly button uh, since that came up today. But uh, just kidding. His mom's name was Nun, right? Or no, his father's name. Sorry. So he, but he's the son of Nun. So it's interesting. I'm just kidding. Um, hey, how about Melchizedek, too? Let's just stop. I'm going to move on. Um, <laughs> but Joshua, he's, he's going to be Moses' successor, right? So he has a heart. You know, he really wants to honor Moses here, right? These other guys are prophesying. What's up with that? This is something that belongs to Moses, right? This is reserved for Moses. He's unique. But Moses, it's amazing. He says, I wish that everyone would prophesy. You know, like he said, he's not upset about it. He is grateful. I mean, can you imagine the difference, right? I mean, it's like, he's like, he'd much rather have people worshiping God, praising God, than complaining, don't you think? Right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Would that everybody would prophesy, that everybody would praise God, worship God, speak of the things of God, and proclaim God. And so, um, that tells us a lot about Moses' character, I think, and the disposition of his heart. Because, for one, he understood that the only indispensable person in Israel wasn't Moses. It was God. It was the Lord. You know, God is the one who's indispensable in ministry, not us. You know, sometimes we get plugged into a ministry somewhere and we become heavily involved and we start to think that this ministry just can't survive without me anymore. You know, it's just, you become this, you know, like dependent, like, oh, everybody's depending on me, this ministry really needs me. Well, you know, I had, a, I had a Bible instructor back in Bible school who said that he knew it was time to leave a certain ministry when someone came up to him and said, what would we ever do without you? You know, he realized this church was becoming way too dependent upon him, and it was time to move on, right? So it's interesting. Uh, the point, though, I want to make is that leaders, they can come and go, and the ministry's going to move on. You know, leaders anywhere. If things, if things are going to go on, the absence is going to be felt, yeah, but it's kind of like pulling your hand out of a bucket of water, right? It fills right back in. You know, and, and God always has his people. You know, and so... Moses didn't have it in his mind that the ministry was dependent upon him alone. He said, he looked, said, look, I'm dispensable. If I come, if I leave, if I die, here comes Joshua. If Joshua dies, here comes, so, you know what I mean? So I just, I like Moses' response here. It tells us he's a humble guy. He didn't look at this, this, this thing as if it all depended upon him. Um, it tells us also he was secure with who he was. Moses was very secure with who God made him to be, you know, if, if Moses um, had soft skin and a thick heart, right, or he had, he's that is thick-hearted, and it's all about him and his pride, you know, he's going to be feeling threatened, right, with these other spiritually gifted men who have spiritual authority. Uh, what if, you know, what if other people start to follow them? They don't listen to me so much anymore. What if some of these elders over here are better preachers or better counselors than me? Remember, Moses stuttered a bit. Or, or he just wasn't good at speaking very well. 
Well, what if, right? What if someone prefers to listen to that guy? You know, Moses didn't care. You know, he, he, he praised God for other gifted people among them. And I just find that incredibly humble. You know, and, and hey, we're going to get to chapter 12, and it says Moses was more meek than anybody on the face of the planet. You know, at the time, he was meek, he was humble, he, was, he had power, he had authority, but it was under control, right? Kind of like a horse, very powerful, but put some reins on it, you control that horse and you can use it, right? Uh, it wasn't out of control. And you know, if we're, just think about it, if we're thinking like disciple makers, we're going to want to see God raise up other people, spiritually gifted people, and use them too, right? But if we're soft-skinned, thick-hearted, and someone else has a gift similar to ours, we're going to start to feel threatened. And we're going to feel a little jealousy. And that's what we see in chapter 12. Look at Miriam and Aaron oppose Moses. Uh, Chapters 12, uh, verses 1 through 3, we'll start out with. Then Miriam and Aaron, Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had taken as a wife, for he had taken a Cushite woman. And they said, has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And Yahweh heard it. See, we don't even know if Moses heard it, but God heard it. He heard this whisper campaign, and verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And so, uh, let's read also with this, uh, Micah 6, 4 in your notes, an interesting verse uh, that, that I want to read with it. I brought, it says this, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. And so Moses definitely has an exclusive leadership role. He's the main intercessor between God and Israel. But uh, God also allowed his siblings, Aaron and Miriam, to help out. Uh, Miriam, remember, she played a crucial part in saving Moses' life as a baby. She's older than him. And uh, Exodus 15 reveals that she was some sort of prophetess. She actually led women in praise and worship. Um, you can read about that, Exodus 15, 20 through 21. And then his brother Aaron also served in the Exodus as a speaker, and he's a high priest. So he has another leading role. All three of these people in this family, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, are people that Israel are looking to for leadership and for guidance. But apparently for Miriam and Aaron, it's not enough right now anyway. They crave more recognition. They have that me first mindset. This is I want to be first. I want more recognition. They're craving it, the spotlight or something. And the main cause, though, for the controversy was uh, that really sparked it seemed to be Moses' wife here who's described as a Cushite. And, and some think Cush uh, was, it could have been used to refer to Arabia, sort of like the land of Midian where his wife Zipporah was from. And so something is just a reference to Zipporah. Uh, but but uh, I think most people think Cush was actually in, like straight, straight across the Red Sea there, right? Just south of Egypt uh, in modern day Ethiopia area. And so 
Um, some think that uh, by this time, remember Moses is 80 some years old, and in Psalm 90 verse 10, he said that the average lifespan at this point was 70 years old, and if Zipporah, his wife, was the same age as Moses, right? She's, she's knocking on heaven's door, right? Um, and Moses, though, he doesn't die till he's 120, and his vigor is not abated by that point. He doesn't die of just old age. So Moses still has a lot of life in him by the grace of God for his task. He's got 40 more years. But if Zipporah is the average human being, right, she's, she's passing on. And uh, Moses, I think it's likely that he married, he remarried. He's got a lot of life left in him. And that upset uh, Miriam and Aaron. They were starting to feel threatened with all of these, you know, between the elders probably. New elders with spiritual authority. And then you've got uh, this new wife of Moses. And, and, and there's just there's jealousy there. There's new faces and figures in the light. And they, they're starting to become jealous. And there might even be a little prejudice in there too. Uh, they might be thinking of themselves, Miriam and Aaron, as indispensable people to the ministry. And they uh, might have been offended that that uh, they didn't take, Moses didn't take their advice, or maybe he didn't even conf- consult with them about marrying someone else. And so, um, it's interesting, right? You can be, ha- like Moses, you can be utterly disinterested in pursuing your own glory. You can be completely selfless. You can serve in a very costly manner. You can give your life to the Lord. Maybe maybe not even want to be in the position that he's actually appointed you to, in a sense. And there's going to be criticism. You know, there will always be people envious of what God's doing through you. And they'll misrepresent you. They'll misunderstand you. Uh, you, as, a, as I mean, maybe if you don't even have, like, an office in the church, you're just a faithful Christ follower. You're trying to share Christ with people. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be maligned, and it's just part of the, it's just part of the, <laughs> it's part of taking the gospel to the world, right? Uh, people are going to be offended, and, and uh, they're going to misunderstand you. They're not, not going to understand you, but you need to realize, too, that like, like Miriam and Aaron, uh, a lot of our critics are motivated by fear and by envy, Fear and envy. The people lash out sometimes when they feel threatened and they use criticism to tear others down. I think they call that an ad hominem in evangelism, debating, right? It's like they can't tear down the argument, so what do they do? They can't defend it, right? So they, they, they attack the person. They go after the person. Um, but uh, again, it's just a power play. It's selfish ambition. Um, but you know, sometimes our critics are right. Even if they don't come at it from the right, with the right heart, sometimes they are right, and even though they have selfish motives. And I think, you know, just if if we have skin tough enough to overlook their heart, right, we can at least accept with a soft heart their criticism because sometimes they're right on, even though they don't come across very sweetly. I guess you could say. Right? So you accept the, what they said and be like, there is some truth in that. And if you do that and you still overlook their offense and you say, you know what, you're right. 
You know, sometimes you might just win your critic that way. But you've got to have thick skin. You can't take it personally. And you've got to have a soft heart. And you've got to be humble. You've got to say, you know what, you're right. But something to think about in case you find yourself in a similar situation. But uh, Miriam, look at this. She's the main rabble-rouser here. She, her name is actually listed first. And uh, the verb spoke is in the feminine form. And she alone is going to be disciplined by God. So she's kind of spearheading this whisper campaign. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, but, but just you, you think about this. I find it highly comforting that Moses' family life wasn't perfect. I don't know about you. You think this is a great leader of Israel, right? Like the most important man in the Old Testament would be, you know, he'd just have a sweet family where everybody gets along and they love to have Thanksgiving and Christmas and, you know, it's all peaceful. And uh, it's just not that, that's just not the case. Not for Moses, not for you and me, <laughs> right? I mean, families have problems. Jesus said that, uh, you know, the, the enemies that we're going to have are going to be sometimes members of our own household. And uh, no, that's, that's painful, but that's reality. Satan has many willing vessels among our family members. I mean, I don't want to get into personal experience, but you, I mean, I know many people, like as soon as they start following Christ, it's amazing how other people in their family become terribly religious all of a sudden. Right? They start to talk about how much faith they have or whatever. And, and they say, you have this personal relationship with God and how, you know, and what, you don't, you don't need this anymore? You don't need this tradition or what? You know, and it's, it, people get kind of feisty in family members, especially when someone gives their life to the Lord and they want to follow Christ. And, uh, you know, I've said it many times too, the hardest place to be spiritual or to accept another person's spirituality or accept someone else's spiritual authority is in the home. That's the hardest place to walk with Christ, and it always will be. And that's why when we go to appoint somebody to leadership or whatever, you want a, uh, you want a spiritual leader, you want to look for a spiritual leader, you, you consult with their wife and you ask, how's his walk in the home? You know, is he walking it? Right? That's because that's, that's the hardest place. Uh, he has to be a manager of his own household first. That's one of the qualifications for being an elder, but... Um, Matthew Henry, before we move on, I want to look at this quote by Matthew Henry. He said, sometimes the unkindness of our friends, and I might add family, family members, is a greater, greater trial of our meekness than the malice of our enemies. Sometimes the unkindness of our friends is a greater trial than the meekness of our, sorry, it's a greater trial of our meekness than the malice of our enemies, right? When you have someone that's close to you, you have friends, you have family, and they say, when they're unkind, and they're a harsh critic, man, that's a lot, that's a lot harder to work with than you know, someone you don't know who says something that's not kind. So let's just be careful with our words, you know what I mean, within, um, within our families and with our loved ones and our friends. But let's, uh, let's move on, verse 4. Yahweh said to Moses, oh, it says suddenly. I just caught that for the first time this week. Suddenly, because who heard it? Who heard the whispers? Suddenly, Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. <laughs> Doesn't that remind you of the principle? I mean, I did not that it ever happened to me, but the principle 
knocking on the door, you three, come with me, my office now. That's kind of the picture you get here, right? Um, again, not that it ever happened to me, but um, uh, Miriam and Aaron, yeah, that, as soon as God said that, you think Miriam and Aaron just went, oh, no. Right? You get that gut feeling like, oh, no, what's, we're in trouble. But verse 4 again, the three of them came out, and then Yahweh came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam, and then both of them came forward, and he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses." He is faithful in all my household, and with him I speak mouth to mouth. Indeed, clearly, and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So, God speaks to Miriam and Aaron directly, and he's talking to him about how he communicates with people in various ways. Sometimes God speaks to the prophets, again, through visions, through dreams, through, through riddles, through dark sayings. I was thinking this week of Daniel 5 and the writing, writing on the wall. Um, sometimes during the monarchical period, God would even use the Urim and the Thummim to speak with uh, the high priest or like with, with David. Um, if you want to know more about the Urim and the Thummim, I've got a podcast in your footnotes on that, but um, uh, those uh, both of my the professors I had this semester are on that podcast, and you can listen to them. One of my professors did his dissertation on the Urim and the Thummim. But um, with Moses, God spoke mouth to mouth. He's just saying like like a conversation with friends. I, it's just like how many people can say that. Just speaking mouth to mouth like with friends. Yeah, I mean, maybe Adam and Eve in the garden. But not many people can say that. I mean, when Christ was on earth. But um, Moses had a unique relationship with God. It says Moses even saw his form. Now, what's that talking about? And most people at Sinai, it says in Deuteronomy 4.15, they didn't see his form. They only heard his voice. But Moses was actually up on the mountain. He saw his form. We know from other texts, though, that Moses couldn't have been exposed to the full glory of the Lord. You know what I mean? Like God's holiness, he dwells in unapproachable light. And us as sinners, we cannot approach that sort of full uh, glorious effect. But um, I like to think that, you know, maybe like some of these investigative TV shows out there where you kind of see the outline of the person, but you don't see their face because they're, they're blacked out or whatever. I th- kind of feel like that's how Moses viewed God when he was up in the cloud. It was still cloudy. You know what I mean? He could see his form. He spoke with him, but he could not be fully exposed um, to God's totally re- divine, total divine presence. You know what I mean? In blazing glory, his blazing glorious presence. Uh, remember, he even hit him in the rock for a little bit and let his glory pass by. Moses could not look at him or he wouldn't live. And so there is an element there where he saw his form, though, um, in a unique way that nobody else did. And, and that being said, God vindicates Moses and silences Miriam and Aaron. 
Um, God revealed that it was sinful for Miriam and Aaron to challenge uh, Moses whom God had appointed. And uh, uh, this brings up another uh, tough skin and soft heart principle for us, and it's that let, we need to let God defend us. Uh, let God defend you. If you're, if, again, if you're going to go into ministry or you're going to take your walk with Christ seriously, there's going to be critics. And sometimes you just need to learn to let, let God defend you. you know, cast whatever it is, whoever it is, put that situation in his hands and just you zip your lip, move on, and serve God faithfully. You know, forget about it. Overlook it and move on. Uh, don't let it drag you down. You know, if you, if, you, if you have soft skin and a hard heart, right, you're going you're gonna to focus on this one criticism and you're going to forget about the dozen compliments that you've had recently. <laughs> you know, and you'll focus on that one thing and it'll drag you down, it'll paralyze you, you'll get angry, you'll want to fight back. Let God handle it. Let God defend you. You know, you need, a, you need tough skin and a soft heart when it comes to critics. And just move on, serve God faithfully the best you know how. Um, verse 9, uh, so the anger of the Yahweh burned against them and he went away. But the cloud withdrew from over the tent and behold, Miriam was leprous as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam and behold, she was leprous. And then Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, I beg you, do not place this sin on us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried out to Yahweh, saying, Oh God, healer, I pray. And Yahweh said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her dishonor for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterward she may be received again. And so Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not set out until Miriam was received again. And so, you know, if, just, if I was Moses in this situation, I'd been betrayed, been maligned, that sort of thing, don't you think it would have been tempting for him to say, God, heal her tomorrow? <laughs> God, heal Miriam, please, in a few days. Just let her suffer for a little while, right? A uh, little uh, justice needed here, a little vengeance. But that's what we want. But Moses, he's humbler than that. He wasn't operating in the flesh here. He's operating... In the spirit, which meant he had meekness, he had uh, a gentleness, a humility about him. Again, that's what meekness is. It's power. You have power, but it's under control. And uh, so he prayed she would be healed immediately. And that gives us another soft-hearted principle. Forgive and pray for your enemies. Forgive and pray for your enemies. Um, that's what Christians should be known for. People with... Uh, soft skin and tough hearts take things personally. If Moses had soft skin and a tough heart, he would have acted in revenge. He would have refused forgiveness. Uh, but Moses doesn't do that. 
Um, he prays for her. He doesn't hold a grudge. And um, even though God heard Moses' prayer, though, look at this. This is why we pray according to God's will. Um, uh, God has a will, and sometimes he answers our prayers, yes, no, or wait. But here it's, it's kind of a, a no and a, and a wait. He says, let her, let her be disciplined for a week. And, you know, uh, that's the reality, is that sometimes we might be forgiven for our sins. God forgives us, but we're still going to face the consequences of it. And uh, sometimes, again, something else we learn here is that our sin affects others. You know, when we sin, we like to think it's just us sinning, but, you know, our sin does affect the people around us, and it affects uh, the local church that we're a part of. Um, but uh, you see that demonstrated, by the way, Israel was hindered, hindered from moving forward to the promised land for a week. Uh, so they had to sit there and wait for a week uh, while, Moses, well, while Miriam was... Uh, until, until Miriam was restored. But bottom line, here's one of our final principles, or it is our final principle, is that um, humble yourself or be humbled. Uh, soften your own heart or God will, God will tr do it for you kind of thing. Humble yourself or be humbled. You know, in, in a broken world, though, where people hurt each other, where we experience the pain of betrayal and misunderstandings, misrepresentation, being taken advantage of, we experience abandonment by people, we experience harsh criticism, hatred. Um, it's easy to let your love grow cold and be just like the world. So-and-so did this to me, said this about me, uh, made this claim about me, it's not true, therefore I'm shutting them out of my life. You know what I mean? Put the foot down. And I'm not saying there's not always a time for boundaries, but what should we be known for? What should Christians be known for? They should be known for their love, for their one-anothering, for their unity, for their forgiveness, for their charity towards the other people, their kindness. But as we, again, as we go about carrying out our, our assignment to make disciples, that, that, <laughs> that's going to be challenged. We're going to be challenged in this area. What are we going to do when people wrong us? Our natural response, we got about uh, three of them here. Natural response might be thick skin and a tough heart. Or sorry, thin skin and a tough heart. I'm going to get these confused. But you know, when something, when a wrong happens to you, you can go one of these four directions here. You can, you can have thin skin and a tough heart. It's going to make you a complaining and, and, and finger pointing person. They're going to blame others. Uh, you're not going to be able to receive any criticism. You might just... Yeah, right, you're soft skin, so you're just gonna, and you're proud, you're gonna just throw in the towel and say, I quit. Fine. You might be thick skinned and thick hearted, which means you're probably gonna get angry and you're gonna be dismissive of the whole thing. You're gonna be unloving, you're gonna be vengeful, you won't be sensitive to other people's feelings at all. And you're gonna wanna throw your weight around, you won't be meek. You know what I mean? You're just gonna run over that person in your anger. Uh, then you got the third response. You're gonna, you can be thin-skinned and soft-hearted at the same time. right? Uh, so basically, we can be overly sensitive and let our emotions rule the day. You know what I mean? We can worship at the idol of our emotions. Um, 
weak to any criticism. We let the criticism paralyze us and we become disengaged because we're just so in this self-pity. We just can't get over what that person said. That, you know, we can let our emotions rule us there and make the decisions for us. Uh, We won't be honest in confronting that person Uh, and and we won't confront them with the truth especially, right? Um, We're just too soft-hearted and thin-skinned. Uh, But if we're grown in maturity, it's like I said in the beginning, we're going to be growing both a thicker skin and softer hearts. Thick skin because it's it's not about us. Um, Soft hearts means we we care. We can overlook, you know. Uh, We speak the truth in love in every situation. So we keep serving. Someone wrongs us, so what? It's not about us. It's about God. It's about his glory, right? I'm just doing my best to faithfully serve that God. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. I'm going to keep sharing the gospel. I'm not going to let what so-and-so did to me like shut me down. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep forgiving people, even when they don't respond positively. Uh, because, again, it's not about us. And that person, however they respond, still has a need for Christ, and my response can help lead them to Christ even though they wronged me, right? How, how Christ-like is that, right? I mean, is there anything more Christ-like? I mean, think of everything that Christ went through in his life, all the criticism, all of the as being misunderstood, being nailed to the cross, and he, he's still pouring himself out for the people who crucified him, still loving them, still forgiving them, still just being Christ, because that's who he is. And that's who we're called to model, is him. And so, how different would Christ followers look in this world if they were known for being thick-skinned and soft-hearted? And I'd encourage each one of us to just take a look at our response this morning to an offense in our lives. Uh, Maybe the Spirit of God's got his finger on an event in your life and a situation that you've been through with someone, maybe a family member or friend. And you can, you can ask yourself, how can I be thick-skinned and soft-hearted in this situation? How can I be like Christ? Because we all have those moments, don't we? We all have those relationships. And so, um, take some time, think about that, and uh, sit down maybe with Matthew 5. 43 through 48. You want to turn there with me? That'll be our last chapter, last passage. Matthew chapter 5. 43 through 48. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Did you know it rained on your enemy this week if that enemy lives in Shadron? God blessed your enemy too. Think about that. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, 
what more are you doing than others? <laughs> do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful uh, just for you, for your mercy and your grace and your love and forgiveness that you've shown us in Christ. You have forgiven us of so many things. Oftentimes, I think you just overlook things in our lives that we do. And Lord, you're always there. You're always willing to forgive us. We can always approach your throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you are there. And even when we sin, grace abounds all the more. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take that thought this morning and just apply it to our own lives and some of the relationships and the situations that we're in. That we might do as you've done for us and we might model Christ in these situations. Lord, help us to have, like Moses here, just uh, thick skin and, and soft hearts and that that uh, would demonstrate the incredible, um, amazing good news of the gospel to others. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.